We're sitting here on Dan Edwards' beautiful terrace on a fine sunny evening, nicely air-conditioned thanks to the Quetta 2022 World Cup bid team who provided the system in return for Hand of Pod's World Cup bid. This is Hand of Pod. Any guest fans this week, but we do have um, a guest dog at Dan's Terrace. I'm not sure whose he is. She. 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 It's a she. Uh, known as known as Uma. Anyway, I'm Sam Kelly. Welcome to episode four of Hand of Pod with your fellow hosts uh, Dan Edwards of Goal.com. Hello. And Daniel Colasimone of Argentina Football World. Hello. It's been an eventful week in in the world of football as a whole, and particularly in in the Argentine football world. To steal a blog title. <laughs> What have you guys thought of it? It's been an interesting week, yeah. I mean, obviously, one of the highlights on our world level has been the World Cup bids they've given uh, 2018. I'm sure any football fan who hasn't been living under a rock for a week knows this, but I'll point it out anyway for, for the record. 2018 is going to Russia, and 2022 is going to the um, air-conditioned paradise of Qatar. Hmm. And yeah, so that news has also made a bit of a ripple in the Argentine football world for reasons we'll go into a little bit later. And then, of course, we had... Another Argentine league weekend, which was full of action as always. For me, they were the highlights. Well, being a, we're a couple of Englishmen and Australian, I, I think we, we can't really speak in an unbiased way about the uh, about the World Cup bids, probably. But uh, yeah, quite a surprising couple of choices for me, mm. um, especially 2022. Um, just talking about maybe the, the Argentinian reaction. I would say there's a lot of surprise, right? I don't think they were that interested, as we as we mentioned last week. They were probably not following the the whole bidding process very very closely. But I, I think there was quite a bit of shock at when the, when the names came out, especially Qatar. I think. Yeah, it was kind of a detached sort of interest. I'd de- describe it best because Argentines on the ho- Argentines on the whole, they like to think short term. Even a couple of days, three days from now is considered quite a long time. So, yeah, to think 12 years into the future, it might as well be a lifetime. But no, it'd be interesting. Yeah, it's almost like Newcastle United's approach to uh, deciding who, who should be their manager. Oh, completely, yeah. Yeah, and the other obvious issue that, as, as we say, we'll be talking about the Quota um, bid a little later. I'm going to pronounce it slightly differently because one of my best friends was born there and she's told me to. She, she won't be listening to this. I'm going to pronounce it like George Bush. Catter. Yeah. Catter. And, and Dan, you're, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go for Qatar, Qatar, yeah. Qatar. See how Qatar. that goes. Right, sir. But yeah, it's been an interesting um, weekend in the domestic league as well, obviously, and, and we've got some matches to a, a second weekend if you want to preview because the the next round's being played in midweek but for me the the kind of the appetizer if you will to the main meaty main course of the the Argentine parisha which was this weekend just gone came on Wednesday or Thursday last week when Colombian Juan something or other Angulovichegas came out with an extraordinary claim really which was that he, he he's a, a full back and he plays for Tigre or rather, more to the point, he doesn't play for Tigre because no. he arrived during the winter break on a free transfer from America de Cali and hasn't played since. And uh, he, he gave an interview to a radio station suggesting that his agent had told him that he had been told to pay Tigre manager Ricardo Caruso Lombardi money in order for a place on the team. And it's not the first time that Caruso Lombardi has had these kind of Accusations levelled at him, obviously. Dan, do you want to tell us about the the previous time, if you can get Zombie to shut up for a second? Yeah, I mean, first I have to declare my interest. I think Caruso is brilliant. Every week, when I do a little um, roundup of the Argentine league, I have a little Caruso corner, which just basically describes all his antics. He's a favourite at Racing. He's a complete favourite at Racing, and more apart, just his brilliant behaviour. He's sent off almost every week from the touchline for a variety of reasons, usually because... He just gives every referee or fourth official an earful or another coach. But I remember, yeah, these allegations came out last time because he had a run-in with the Gorda Cruz manager who's called Omar Assad. And basically, Caruso's opening line was that Assad was a fat drug, drug addict, to which El Turco Assad managed to respond with, you pay, yeah, you ask your players for money, you corrupt 
son of a bitch. Mm. It's probably the best, you know, the most polite way to say it. Yeah. And, and eight months on, we've got these um, allegations coming out, which it, it's not the first time that hints have been made by players or by players' agents that the manager has uh, has wanted to take money off them in return for the place in the team, but it is the first time that the players have been prepared to go on record as saying it. The, the, the previous incident ended in, in a kind of a brawl on a touchline between the two coaches, or was that a separate incident as well? Because I've seen footage of him it's, brawling with another... I think that's the same, yeah, it's yeah. the same incident, yeah. Mm. They were very close to, uh, yeah, getting it on. It, it's interesting because one of our fellow journalists, Joel Richards, on his 442 blog, unless I misread it, uh, seemed to suggest that that Vichegas maybe got pressured into to making the accusations and it, it's not quite as black and white as simply, obviously, you, you can't necessarily believe what, what he's saying any more than we would believe what Carlos Lombardi's saying, which is a good point. And, and I think one of the things that struck me when I was reading the transcript of the interview after it had happened was that Vichegas doesn't exactly come across as the, to, the, the sharpest tool in the box. Um, no. throughout the whole thing it, it's very much kind of he seems confused about who his agent is at one point which Caruso Lombardi seems to think his agent is this uh, the son of one of um, Colombia's most notorious drug barons in fact a gangster was how he um, succinctly put it exactly Caruso. whereas Vichegas himself is very clear that, that it's uh, that it's another bloke and that this this other guy is just some guy who by virtue of also being Colombian has been hanging around with him a lot since he came to Argentina yeah I mean it's hard to say whether this is Vichegas being a bit simple or just because it's that complicated because obviously in South America the issue with contracts is a whole zombie would you please be quiet if, if you can hear zombie in the background we do apologise he's yeah. getting quite excited because he was playing with a bottle before we started recording and um, in order to get him to stop making noise with it Dan's <laughs> thrown it into the water tank um, <laughs> which zombie is now panting around Imagine the edge of the trying to work out what's happened trying to the work out how to get in the way in, in terms of people not being very bright as we're talking <laughs> about Bichet, I think yeah. it's worth saying that zombie is possibly not the most intelligent yeah. dog any of us have ever met whereas yeah. the guest is being disappointingly quiet on the mm. whole matter but yeah to go back to what I was saying the contract situation in South America whether it be Brazil, Argentina, Colombia, it's often incredibly complicated and it causes a whole lot of conflicts. I mean, I know, for example, to go back to wrestling quickly, um, they brought a Colombian, Gio Moreno, and I believe his contract split between uh, Nacional, his former club, who own, I think, 25%, and then Racing own 37.5% of his contract, and a businessman owns the other 35 37.5%. Yeah. I believe takes us up to 100. I wasn't very good at maths at school, but and and it's just like, how do you ever come to an agreement over anything when, you know, four different, potentially four or more people were. I think Rodrigo Palacio is yeah. another guy who has a similar situation. Oh, and, I'm sure. Yeah, and that was before he got sold, definitely. Oh, right, yeah, and that was one of the reasons he sort of Stoke stuck around yeah. with Boca so long, was because mm. they could never find an agreement between all the different parties who owned him about who to sell him to, how much to sell him for, and so forth. Mm. Yeah. But with Bichegas, he actually arrived for Tigre. At least he's um, he arrived on it as a free agent. So whether Tigre earned 100% of his contract now is another matter, of course, because his agent might well earn a percentage and yeah. so on. But it's, it's interesting, and, and I'm interested as well to see whether he's actually any good if he does get a game. Yeah, um, I can't Caruso see Lombardi. him getting too many games now that he's come out against Caruso. But apparently Caruso's leaving in December. Exactly, which so is something else. I think he, he's been very clear that um, that that the allegations are complete rubbish. But he is. Yeah. Quitting Tigre after the yeah. after the Apertura because well, he doesn't want the club. According to Vitegas's claims on the on the radio station, I saw the quote. It was something like, um, "He told me that I have the potential to to start. I'm a good enough player, but uh, you know, I need he needs some incentive yeah. for, to pick me." Uh, that was his, his. And I think I think it's also worth pointing out as well because Caruso is threatening to send any journalist that says anything against him to court. So can we just say for the record, Caruso <laughs> says that Vitegas was injured. Okay. So yeah. the official hand of pod line will be that Vichegas was injured. Absolutely. Uh, Don't sue us, in, in the unlikely event that Caruso understands enough yes. English to, to be slandered by our... Um, I hear he's a regular he, listener. Yes, we, we do have, at least according to my statistics, uh, somewhere in the region of 12 regular listeners in Argentina. In Tigre or in um, Argentina. And I'm sure not all of them can be the three of us listening to it four times. <laughs> it leads us on, though, to, um, as we hinted earlier... The, the, the corruption allegations surrounding the, the Quarta 2022 bid. We're not going to talk for too long about it because, as we've already mentioned, as two Englishmen and an Australian, as Dan says, it's difficult, particularly for him, I suppose, because he lost out 
2022 um, to be entirely neutral on it but uh, it'd be remiss of us not to mention that the Wall Street Journal in New York uh, last week published a story in which they said that a, an insider a, a former employee of the Quarter 2022 bid had been asked and, and then had um, suggested to the bidding team that uh, Grondona that Grondona being president of the Argentine Football Association, a vice president of Conmebol and of course a vice president of FIFA, and as such having one of the three Conmebol votes, could be bought in the bidding process in return for, well when it was reported in the Argentine papers it was initially reported as a, a payment, and, um, and when the amount actually came out uh, after we looked at the Wall Street Journal report, it's a staggering it's, amount, it is, it's, it's 78.4 million US dollars, which we must stress is not reported to have actually gone into Grandona's personal bank account, but rather made as a donation to the Argentine Football Association. Is a way of helping them out of the financial worries, which we would assume are the financial worries they had at the start of last year's Doneo Apertura, when the player union threatened to strike and almost had the league called off that season and certainly caused a couple of weeks' delay. Dan, let's ask you, uh, Australian Dan, um, for a, a, as unbiased an opinion as you can on... Um, on the Father Quattro has won a bit obviously ahead of your country and I don't think it's too much of a secret that there was that there was some dodgy dealing. Um, that might be what, you, what you'd think if you looked at some of the, the statistics or the, the circumstances around the Qatari bid. Um, if you remember it was, I think it was the last in the FIFA re technical report, it was the, the least recommended country. It was, it was the country with the, with the most problems. I think Russia was was second worst in that in that report. Some of the the reports I was reading was that uh, the of the 22 FIFA officials who were voting, only three of them requested uh, that technical report to have a look at before the vote, which kind of gives you the impression that the whole bidding process didn't really matter. And again, like England, I think we, we had the most technically um, had the technically superior bid, uh, and countries like Australia. Uh, we're also looking pretty impressive. Yeah, the country with the technically the techni uh, the worst bid according to the, the FIFA technical reports um, ended up winning it. Yeah, going back to the actual bid, I think you'd have to be very naive to not believe that there was a lot of politics going on in these two in these two decisions. Not to say that Russia and Qatar won't do a brilliant job. They they may well do. But there was definitely a lot of a uh, lot of horse trading, a lot of um, yeah. I think a lot of the perhaps the annoyance comes from not the fact that there is a lot of politics involved. That's obvious. I think we probably best leave it at that as a subject because I'm sure we'll say something eventually that will get us into trouble again. Of course, of course. Um, and, and just to uh, clarify, obviously we are aware that England was were bidding for the, the 2018 bid and quite a the 2022, but the the issues surrounding both seem to be pretty much the same. I have to admit that one of the things that I thought was just, just perhaps possible was that Quetta might be a, a chance for FIFA to experiment and see whether holding the World Cup in a single city-state would actually be workable so that in 2030 they can take the centennial World Cup back to Uruguay on its own. I think that's a very optimistic view. Where, of course, <laughs> Montevideo up until now is, is the only... Well, in fact, I think I believe two, at least two of the stadia in Quetta are going to be outside Doha, so Montevideo will remain the only single city ever to have hosted an entire World Cup and Argentina-Uruguay are planning a joint bid for the 2030 tournament so that the final can be held in the Asadio Centenario again which I can't speak for my, my two podcasting colleagues but my own blog Asadio Empress is 100% behind that bid even though the Argentine FA is still going to be run by Julio Grandona in 2030 <laughs> either that or one of his sons his daughter <laughs> something yeah uh, Grandona will probably be in charge but yeah. I, I think no, I'd, I'd agree yeah I think it's a fantastic idea to bring it back to Argentina and Uruguay like both of them they've got the people that are absolute fanatics of football mm. there's kind of no doubt about that and they've got the stadiums you know a lot of them are a bit shoddy but they need work rather than to be constructed, so and the infrastructure is definitely there. And moreover, it would help FIFA to regain some credibility because there's no way either of those countries have the money to bribe the oh, uh, no. <laughs> the voting team. No. Um, bribees, not bribers. <laughs> yeah, I, I do actually think that they will have a good chance of, of winning that World Cup uh, hosting rights, um, but at the same time, I doubt very much that that's what the FIFA hmm. 67 year old. Uh, Fat cats were thinking about when they when they chose Qatar. No, Qatar, Qatar, as I'm calling. We, 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 I think possibly for a future podcast, actually, we should, we might have a discussion on um, 
who the likely Argentine host cities might be in the event of in the event of such a bit being for us around 20, 2028 when we yeah, yeah. Podcast, but, uh, right. the 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 uh, celebratory two thousandth <laughs> edition uh, of our podcast or however many it will be yeah um, good moving on to the league action the weekend just passed um, I'm not sure about the, the the other two guys here but I'm uh, well I, I know that they're not flying home on Wednesday <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> I didn't actually see very much of the the domestic league this this weekend because I've been uh, saying goodbye to various people and starting to pack up various things because I'm going back to England for six weeks for Christmas and New Year on Wednesday. I'm looking forward very much to getting out of this heat, as you can imagine, and getting to the nice temperate coldness of the English winter. Sarcastic smiley, just in case you didn't pick that up. Yeah, just, <laughs> just in case nobody realised that I was being ironic. But River Plate got a good win. Away to Colón as well, who I have to say are having a terrible season. Um, yeah, very, very average. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to start talking about River too much again, although I will <laughs> say that if you've not seen Eric Lamela's goal for the equaliser, they came back from 1-0 down at half-time to win 2-1. Uh, it was a thing of beauty. It was, it was a goal that... Absolutely. They tried to score that goal five times a match yeah. under Angel Kappa and never quite managed it, but it was it was absolutely brilliant. And I think they've been finished. trying for about five years to score yeah. that goal. And also the first goal that Eric Lamela has scored for the first team, so... Um, Check it out on YouTube if you can find it for Colón versus River Plate. Um, but I, it struck me that Colón are having an awful season at home because they have a reputation which a lot of our listeners won't be aware of, some of them undoubtedly will, for being a team who, who are capable of beating absolutely anybody at home. At home, yeah. To the point where their stadium's nickname is the Elephant's Graveyard. In, in the 60s and, and 70s, they, they beat... Well, in the 60s, sorry, they beat Pelé's Santos team in the Copa Libertadores at home. They beat the great Peñarol sides they've beaten Boca River all of the Argentine big five numerous times there and yet this season they've they've got something like two, we've not got the stats in front of us but it's something like two or three wins against small teams and they've lost the vast majority of their home home games yeah the, um, the invincibility definitely seems to have gone from uh, the Elephant's Graveyard I know um, I've never had the pleasure of going there because when Racing played there in uh, Clausura no one had any cash so I missed out, but I've heard some stories about going to that ground as an away fan. And obviously that doesn't affect directly the players on the pitch, but it's kind of this whole intimidating atmosphere and you leave people uh, throwing things at you and you've got to kind of sprint to the bus station. Oh, yeah. It's just um, a very intimidating place to be and then you're in Santa Fe, which is, not, I wouldn't say in the middle of nowhere, but not far off. It's kind of quite isolated out in uh, Santa Fe province. and It's just, yeah. I get the feeling it's not a very um, pleasant place to visit if you're, in a, if you're an away fan or a player. Which leads us nicely onto Abe Chanet, though. <laughs> <laughs> hold up, hold up. How did, how did Racing do it at the weekend? <laughs> I'm glad you asked, Sam. I'm glad you asked. We, we had a great win, yeah. We triumphed 2-0 over Gimnasia in, uh, in Abe Chanet with two, well, golas. It's the only two way to say yeah, it. definitely. We had um, a backheel that managed to go through the legs of Canasia uh, keeper Gaton Cesa de Auche, which got the stadium to its feet. Obviously, we're on our feet anyway, but absolutely yeah, blew us away. And then we also had the first goal from uh, Patricio Taranto, which was another a long-range beauty. And no, it was just a very good game, you know. We won, didn't always look particularly assured. There were times where we kind of sat on the lead, especially at 1-0 in the second half. We sat back and Canasia pushed on because they need points. More, probably more than anyone in the entire league but we managed to get through in the end and, but it was interesting because they always say that Racing and Gimnasia uh, are very good friends like the batters of the two clubs mm. uh, very friendly with each other I think Gimnasia helped them out when Racing nearly went bankrupt in I believe 2002-2003 yeah. but it seems to be over at the moment Yeah, there, was, there wasn't much friendship it was kind of a surreal moment because you can tell by the songs how they're going and so the wrestling fans started up the chant. It basically goes, um, the Lobo and La Academia are always going to be united. We didn't get much of a response from the Gimnasia fans, so then they just started singing, whoever's not jumping is going down to the bay. <laughs> and it all kind and of got of course there was a, a Gimnasia fan who actually... Uh, yeah, he got shot to death in the, to death in the barrio the afterwards, yeah. Oh, I didn't read about that. Which well, kind of, it ties into what you said about yeah. Avicenada not being a pleasant place for visitors, yeah. But they're, they're sort of conflicting. At first, it's, uh, there were reports that it was it was fan violence, but it seems 
probably seemed to be thinking at the moment that it was just a robbery gone yeah. wrong or something. He tried so. to rob a house and the owner came back with a gun. <coughs> seems to be the most likely, yeah, most likely outcome. But no, with wrestling, yeah, uh, they got the win on Friday, which means that now they're sitting in the uh, Libertadores places after Newell's drew with San Lorenzo. Yeah, that was the next thing I was going to say. Well, yeah. speaking of which, of course, Godoy Cruz have uh, qualified for the. In spite of getting absolutely yeah. thrashed, yeah. I mean, if, certainly if my I think they were already in. They'd already knew that yeah. they'd, they'd yeah. qualified before the match started, and they were in party yeah. mode already. Villas were in truly sports party. Yeah, 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 they they yeah. they already knew. Um, they lost four 0 at home to Velas for our listeners, but um, the fact that Newell's old boys dropped points away to San Lorenzo, San Lorenzo. to San Lorenzo meant that Godoy had already qualified anyway. Um, so they're the first team from Mendoza. I, I actually mentioned this on my blog a, a week and a half ago, prematurely because I got my maths wrong in terms of the number of games that there were left and the number of teams who were going to qualify. They're the first team from Mendoza ever to, to qualify for the Copa Libertadores, so if we've got any Godoy Cruz listeners, then congratulations. Yeah, and the first team outside of the, the sort of axis of power in Argentine football, yeah, yeah. which is the old obviously Buenos Aires, Rosario and La Plata, which is a huge achievement. Yeah, and, and um, I believe as well that the um, that we've now got the four because Vélez obviously by virtue of that win also qualified which means that it's now between the team who finished fifth in the 2010 accumulated table mm-hmm. or obviously if Independiente managed to do something astonishing in Wednesday night's second leg of the Copa Sudamericana final it will be them those of us those of you who listen to our brilliant tactical uh, <laughs> preview <laughs> of, of last week's Goyashi Independiente game in which we said that uh, essentially that we thought Independiente would be able to do enough at home after maybe getting a draw in, in the first away leg will have might have been interested enough to watch the Copas in Americana final first leg and see Independiente more or less played off the pitch by a team who aren't good enough for the Brazilian first division I, I don't agree so much I, I thought it was a really quite a bizarre game actually I mean until uh, Goiás scored their, their first goal I thought Independiente were dominating and then kind of the, basically the Independiente defence just fell apart a couple of times more than a couple of times because Goiás also missed, missed chances Yeah. but I thought the overall balance of the game Independiente actually probably had the better of it I think that it could have ended up sort of 3-2 or something to Goiás because it was a really mm. a really bizarre game uh, so I, I, I wouldn't totally rule them out in the second leg um, no so you definitely can't rule them out I mean I have to say I didn't watch the game. I was, um, I must admit, not too unhappy to hear the result. But of course. I still think, yeah, Independiente, they've proved that they're a, they're a formidable pr- proposition in their own stadium. Yeah. The one thing that's going to play against Independiente is that they're missing their best striker, um, Andre Silva, yeah. who was sent off in the game against Goyesh. So without him, they lack a certain firepower up front, which is going gonna, is gonna to handicap them for sure. But is it going to be enough to mean they... They fall to defeat. I, I think it's going to dent their hopes really quite severely. I mean, certainly when I I went to see Independiente Argentinos quite early on in this in this tournament, admittedly, um, in the torneo, sorry, not tournament, the championship. And Silvera looked. I, I wouldn't even go so far as to say that he was by far Independiente's most impressive player. He was the only Independiente mm. player who yeah. looked like he'd seen a football before or any of his teammates and I believe it was the same when they played River as well yeah and, and quite how they've managed to be so much better in the Copa Sudamericana than in the league this season I'm not sure because in the league of course they're 11th or 12th at the moment no less they're about you think they're lower? 16th 17th yeah, oh wow sure. okay well they're, they're a long way down it anyway so I mean how, how much of a difference the being in, in continental competition makes for them I'm not sure but I'd, we'll see how it goes and penalties wouldn't entirely surprise me of course no. the away goals don't count in finals of Commonwealth competitions so if Independiente win by any two goal margin it'll go to penalties yeah. um, and they have to win by three obviously to win the trophy I think a two goal win isn't beyond them um, yeah, no, three goals, said, three goals would be interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah as I said, it was a weird game, so I, you know, any, almost any result wouldn't surprise me. But I, I do yeah. think that they, they do have it in them to 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 win the to win the tournament. We'll see. Yeah, it, it, I'm slightly irritated, of course, that I'm going to miss it because I'm going to be on an aeroplane somewhere up in northern Brazil by the time the final kicks off. But although I, actually, I'm, I'm more irritated at having to miss the league matches this weekend because uh, yeah. this weekend, this this midweek. Well, we should probably mentioned the, the league table as well so we talked about the Velez winning mm. 4-0 and I'd like to just say like I happened to watch the Velez game yesterday I believe it was and it was a cracking performance like probably one of the best performances I've seen all year 
yeah. with um, a guy that we've mentioned a couple of, couple of times before, but it's worth mentioning again, uh, Santiago Silva. He scored two fantastic goals, like two really good goals. Yeah, they're really well. It was the celebration that um, got me. I think for the first one, he sprinted over, grabbed a camera off one of the photographers on the side of the pitch and started taking pictures of his teammates just mm. on the field before grabbing uh, Maxi Morales, who, to give you an idea, is about a third of the size of Silva. <laughs> And just carried him around in a fireman's lift, sprinting across the pitch. And that's kind of silver for you, it's like all passion, all heart. In yeah, there was a game, I think he got a hat-trick earlier in the season, I remember watching, and each uh, goal celebration was something completely bizarre and, and different. Uh, the first one, I think he, he sort of had an, faked an epileptic seizure on the, in the middle of the pitch, and uh, I don't know, he just comes up with these... He must be yeah. sitting at home thinking about all those goal celebrations every week. Um, and, uh, and he celebrates how he plays, I think. There's no kind of, there's no finesse about his celebration. There's no <laughs> art. He kind of just does whatever he thinks and it's big. It's, in, it's impressive. Let's mm. say. Uh, it looks like he'll be the, unless something weird happens, he should be the top scorer yeah. for the, the tournament now because he'll be too ahead of uh, anyone else. Right? Yeah, and of course, one of the guys he's too ahead of is, is his teammate. Martinez. Um, uh, Martinez. Yep. Juan Manuel Martinez. I almost said Maxi Martinez. Uh, I'm just getting confused with Maxi Morales. But too many surnames beginning with M in the Ballet squad, I think, is the, think the so. conclusion we can draw from my tripping over my tongue there. Um, but of course, Estudiantes won as well. Meaning 3 1 at home to. Argentina. Yes, yes. yes. leaders against yeah, champions. Yeah. yeah, they did 3 1 at home to Argentinos Juniors. Um, the defending champions, well, the outgoing champions, we should say. Um, which means that another development that will happen whilst I'm on the aeroplane is that Estudiantes have the chance to win the league on Wednesday. Belles, where would that be? It's, you know, Sam? Um, he's in a stadium somewhere in the north of the city of Buenos Aires, yeah. down. I, I'm not sure I can remember. That would be the River Stadium, Sam. That would be the River Stadium, yeah. I well, think you'd love to see um, yeah, Estudiantes do the lap of honour in, in the Monumental. Well, although, of course, you wouldn't see it. Listen, w w when Daniel Passarella took over as River Plate president towards the end of last year he did say that River were going to be involved in a title race and, and a, a title deciding match within a year he's potentially not wrong they're, they're going to be playing away to River Plate at the same time as Vélez play at home to Newell's possibly to, to another team we've obviously not got the computer in front of us this week so we can't check it and obviously if uh, with Estudiantes being Two goals, two goals, two points ahead, with only two matches left, including Wednesdays. If Estudiantes were to win and Belles were to fail to win, that would be the league title going back to La Plata. Problem yeah. is, um, Veron is out. Mm. He picked up a yellow card. Of course, yeah. Did you see the way he picked up the yellow card? He, I didn't know. After one of uh, Estudiantes' goals, uh, at the restart, Veron, for some reason, was... Uh, encroaching onto the centre circle a couple of times mm. and uh, he had picked up a yellow card for that and for that reason he's going to miss the crucial River game and the, the press are quite excited about this because of course it would have been Veron versus Almeida in, in the middle yeah, of the pitch which uh, the, the two of them I don't think exactly got on very well sort of during the, no. the late 90s when they were both of course in the Argentina 98 World Cup squad um, in fact they both played against England in that very memorable Second round game. And they spent a lot of time in the same in the same teams in Italy as well. Mm. I think uh, Lazio and, and Panama. So so that's a, a duel that we'll be missing between two of the veterans that we were talking about last week. Ortega as well will be out. Yeah, and Enzo Perez for Estudiantes yep. because he was given a fairly gratuitous two-match ban for a kick. I believe he did in a previous match. So he missed the weekend clash against Argentinos, and now he's going to be missing against. Uh, against River as well yeah there, there was also a player who um, I can't remember even in which game it took place this weekend but somebody elbowed someone in the face Ooh. in the back oh, yeah. of the match yeah. um, Ruben Ramirez got, got elbowed by yeah. right at the end of the game who was Hugo it Barrientos of course yeah for, for, uh, all, boys. for yeah. all boys um, which is a it, horrific brutal, yeah. <laughs> I mean, from, brutal it was bleeding like a stuck pig from, yeah. from what I saw about how it happened Ramirez sort of tripped him or and he kicked him or something him. Yeah. Actually, it was yeah. the it last was kick, kick yeah. literally the last kick of the game it was sort of a, a long ball into the area mm. so um, he kicked him and then and Barrientos yeah. just got up Barrientos and, I mean, yeah he took his time composed himself prepared and just <laughs> slammed his elbow into the left cheek of Ramirez cut cut it seven ways from Sunday yeah <laughs> and now I was reading an interview earlier with Ramirez actually and he basically said um, if he if he sees Barrientos around anytime soon 
he's going to come for him. <laughs> well, he was on yeah. the, on a, at the end of the game. You know, the, the referee blew the whistle. And it was anarchy. There was yeah. about yeah five five players holding him back. He was trying to get at him. Mm-hmm. He was also crying at the same time. Was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> upset, in pain, and furious at the same time. It's not a not a particularly attractive look. It, it was violent to the point where it, it wasn't. It, even the kind of cut that um, that one of the goalkeepers from Independiente's opponents earlier in the Copa Sudamericana got. Do you remember when they threw yeah. the thing in it, which hit his face, and he had quite a lot of blood pouring down the side of his head. But Ramirez's face pretty much turned red. It was engulfed with the yeah. amount of, of blood that was all over it, and it reminded me more of the. Um, I don't know whether either of you remember a couple of years ago one of the matches at uh, Vélez's ground against River. I can't remember whether it was Meles against River or whether it was one of the games when River were playing there, uh, having had the Monumental closed, mm. when there was a lot of trouble going on with the kind of internal power struggle in, in River's Barra Brava, Los Borrachos de Tablón. Um, and there was a huge fight, and, and one of the fans was being kicked and obviously lost consciousness, and there were TV pictures showing him just rolling down the terrace on his side. Right, I yeah. think um, I remember yeah, that. I remember yeah. And when he eventually woke up and stood up, his face was just red. And that was what Ramirez's face mm. looked like to me. That, that was how violent this, this elbow was yeah. that we're talking about. It was and horrible. I mean, it's it's a shame, really, because we said things in previous weeks about all boys really kind of surprising, and they did actually happen to win that game, which puts them yeah. securely into the top half of the table. It gets them up to the target of points that they set for them for the first half of the season with two games to play. Mm. And they don't play bad football like... You know, it's physical at times, but they try and keep it on the floor. They've got some very talented players, as we said. And that's just a shame. I hope that people don't start thinking badly of all boys because of this one one situation. I'm sorry, a bunch of the players interviewed because it all, all sort of developed into a big melee on the, on the pitch and this went on for minutes. And the commentators for ages didn't know what was happening. They didn't know why he was bleeding like that. No, this and, is um, the production standard we have on public television where yeah. you don't get replays for five bloody minutes. Right. I saw a wonderful clip... Um, they were basically covering the entire melee afterwards because it went on for a good five, ten minutes. And all the while just keeps saying to the viewers, look, I'm really sorry, but we can't actually show you what happened to spark this. We'll, we'll show all the pushing and shoving and police getting involved, but you have to trust us that there was an elbow. There was an elbow? We think there was an elbow. <laughs> Along those lines, for a good five minutes. And then they're interviewing players after the match and they all had sort of a case with the Arsene Wenger's where none of them had seen anything, apparently. Yeah. And so it was it was quite bizarre yeah on, on a very similar note you probably just heard um, zombie fighting with our guest dog Uma <laughs> they've got socks in their mouths and so before they start getting too noisy I think we're going to take the opportunity to refill our fair net glasses play you a little bit of music and we'll be back in a minute We're going to talk now in, in response to a question that we that we had from one of our uh, listeners on the Hand of Pod blog, uh, as if to prove that if you do send us correspondence, <laughs> we will read it and, and do something about it. So please do feel free to get in touch. Asking about the the squad for the under twenties um, South American Football Championship, which kicks off on the sixteenth of January in Peru, and which acts as uh, qualifying tournament for well first of all for the under 20 world cup which is held do we know where it's being held next year it's in colombia in 2011 of course it's in colombia because blatter was there a few weeks ago um and secondly for the london 2012 olympics now the first thing i have to say actually is we were unable to find the squad on on the afa website but as um as our commenter i think he's if i remember correctly pronks mentioned it in the comments um it is up on the on the website of a very good friend of ours sebastian garcia um, which you'll find at mundoalbiceleste.com if you go to the Handapod blog then I'm going to make sure I put a link up to that so thanks for this Seba and we know that neither Seba nor uh, nor Ron who actually posted it would have put it up without some very good authority at least um, so even though it's not on the AFA website we're going to go with the list that we've got which the, the two things that really strike me just in terms of the clubs whose players have been called up are first of all that one of the goalkeepers Damian Martinez is is at Arsenal, and we don't mean Arsenal de Sarandí, we mean Arsenal in England. The little Arsenal. Um, yeah, 
And uh, the second Maybe. thing is that there are eight River Plate players, which, considering how rubbish River Plate <laughs> are at the moment, <laughs> I, I find very difficult to believe. I, I, well, having paid 150 yeah. pesos for a bloody platea to go and watch them on several occasions this season, I'm quite indignant that they don't seem to be playing very many of these players who are apparently well, at least it's, it's good news that you, you've got your um, talent-producing factory. Indeed, well, yeah. well working at the moment. So in four um, years' time, you'll um, you'll be kicking kicking everyone. Yeah, and and, sure. and Eric Lamela is not one of those players either. Obviously, he's far too important to Rivers' own ambitions um, at the moment. Literally very very key player now um, and so they've evidently asked the AFA not to call him up the, the players who have been called up from River very quickly are Rodrigo Rey who's one of the goalkeepers Herman Petzela who I can't say anything about nor Leandro Perez um, and then a few midfielders Manuel Lanzini who played quite a bit under Angel Capa at the start of the season very impressive he set up one or two goals for Rogelio Funes Mori um, in the 3-2 win over Independiente that, that I went to Roberto Pereira, who's been pretty much a regular going down the, the right-hand side of the pitch on, on, on that wing. Ezequiel Cerigliano, who's... Uh, he's played a couple of times. Yeah, he's, he's really shining. He's a number five, he's, which is in Argentine football parlance, a defensive midfielder. Can be also a sort of deep-line playmaker, but always one who's got the ability to tackle. And he's been kind of overshadowed to the extent that, obviously, Matias Almeida, one of the veterans who we talked about last week, you see we're contrasting here, really, <laughs> veterans followed by youngsters, is, is in the team ahead of him. And Walter Acevedo has, has been preferred as well, uh, for some reason. I'm, I'm not a Pretty huge nice, fan of Acevedo, nice. but anyway. Mauro Diaz as well, who's another good carrilero, box-to-box midfielder. And the one that really baffles me, Rogelio Bloody Funes Mori. Um, <laughs> Who I'm, I'm sure I've already mentioned my frustrations of on, on, on this podcast before, even though we're only three episodes old prior to this one. A very good player, clearly a, a striker who's got good technique, but he's a striker and he can't finish. And what the hell is he doing in the under-20 squad? Other than that, I, I think the, the squad looks good, and I certainly don't argue with any of the River inclusions, um, or at least the ones who, who I've seen play. Um... No, Funes Mori. I think you're you're being a little harsh on him. I, uh, he's yeah, he 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 scored a bunch of goals at the start of the season, and now yeah, he whatever he can't well, hit the yeah, target. But he, he he scored three in in three or four matches at the start of the season. But in terms of big big frontmen, yeah, they're not going to have a lot of options in that area. No, of course that's true. And, and I remember a piece that you wrote on on your blog down a couple of months ago saying that uh, the kind of really big tall number nine almost English-style centre-forward, but with a touch of Argentine technique to him. It's something that the national Yeah, it's a very rare breed. In, in anyway. that, was, that was actually on um, In Bed With Maradona, that, that yeah, piece. But. Of course, yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I, for me, Funes Mori deserves to be in the, in the team. Um, yeah. uh, some other interesting names that stood out for me were... There's uh, Claudio Mosca, who's from Arsenal, the, the real Arsenal, the one in Argentina. Uh, he's been one of the, the reasons, I think, that they've done so well this year. He's a 19-year-old. Then you've got um, a player I like a lot is Bruno Zuculini, who Dan will know from, from Racing. Mm. His brother is already in Europe. Uh, he's playing for Genoa at the moment. Uh, he's, he's, his brother is quite young as well. He's about 22. I think uh, even younger than that. I think he's just turned 20, to be honest. 20, yeah, is he? Oh, okay. He was, yeah. what, 18 when he moved to Hoffenheim yeah. recently, which was... I mean, <laughs> he came into Racing. I'm talking about older older Zuccolini at the moment Franco he came into racing I think at the age of 17 18 just as Bruno has and it's become fashionable for some reason I'm not sure how many people would have seen too much of them together possibly Argentine commentators more than anything but it's become very fashionable to say that Bruno's going to be um, better than his brother which seems to me a fairly outrageous thing to say about a 20 year old um, so you're saying Bruno's a new Franco <laughs> he could well be the new Franco, yeah. He yeah. could. Um, so, both of them is, is the new Sukulini. The, the both yeah. of them are, are excellent defensive midfielders. Yeah. You'll you'll attest to that, Dan. Yeah. And yeah. I've seen I've seen YouTube video of um, uh, Franco, the older brother, kind of <laughs> tackling somebody basically with his head, like the the balls on the guy's foot, and he's dived in with his head to tackle the guy. And John Terry asked. <laughs> I mean, yeah. They're compared to uh, um, Simeone, right? I think, yeah. Along the same lines. I mean, what I'd say, um, Zuko Jr., who's, <laughs> who's coming along in wrestling at the moment, he's only 17, but for the last four or five fixtures, he's been a first-teamer. I think he's played about 10 games overall because our captain, Flavio Jacob, got injured. And it looks like he'll play the last two games as well. He's a very um, 
a cultured number five on the ball. Um, you know, he sits in the hole, he likes to direct play. Occasionally, you know, it's a position that needs a bit of experience, so he looks maybe a little bit... Which is very forgivable. Yeah, of course, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. But Just to clarify as well about sitting in the hole, we mean in, in this sense, of course, most English listeners will have known that as the standard playmaker, whereas we're talking about the hole between defence and midfield. Defense and midfield rather yeah, than yeah these are very much in the, yeah. in, the, in the same yeah. tradition of Mascherano He's or Simeone. More of a deep line playmaker almost than a than a <coughs> well, very tough and, and tough tacklers, and good positional yeah. sense, and, and also ability to pass the ball. Oh, also, yeah, with Zuccolini, what's very clear, I think this is where the definition becomes clear between him and his brother. I think that Zuccolini Bruno is is thought to have better skill on the ball, more be more of an attacking threat. Other interesting players in the squad was um, Miguel Ojos. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Estudiantes, who who has played very well this year, mm-hmm. often coming into the team, is um, a midfielder as well. Yeah, uh, I mean, what I've seen of Ochoas, he um, plays in this very uh, kind of almost uh, Lionel Messi role. He plays behind the main striker, but he likes to get wide. He likes to drop into the the hole. This time, the hole refers to the hole between midfielders and attackers. Of course, the standard of course, hole, the standard hole, if you like. And no, he hasn't played a whole lot of games. Mostly when other people have been injured or suspended. Which here happens quite a lot, so. Yeah. Well, especially with the Estudiantes, yeah. with the these guys, Verón and Braña, missing games, and so he's played a lot. Yeah. Uh, and he's, he's, again, he's done well, he's done well. He's, yeah, yeah, he's a good player, and he's got an interesting story as well, because he actually uh, grew up in the States. He's, he's American, he, he grew up in the States until, in, in California, I think, until he was about 15. I think his parents were Argentinian. Uh, they moved back here when he was 15, and he ended up getting a, a spot in the Estudiantes team. So he could technically play for the US. Was, was he born in the US? He was born in the US, no, but his parents are Argentinian. The, the, obviously, Rogelio Funes Mori, as, as a lot of our American listeners <coughs> especially will know, um, did a lot of his growing up in the States as well. He was born in Buenos Aires, and then... He moved there, yeah, he moved there as well when, when, when he was, was nine, yeah, and nine, then he yeah. won a competition, uh, kind of some sort of reality so show, I MLS, think. yeah. MLS, MLS yeah, X which, Factor which Chelsea say. fans might well be aware of as well because the, the top prize was the chance to go and play uh, and uh, play train with the Chelsea squad and uh, get a trial with them and Funes Mori won this and um, along with his brother I believe yeah the twins yeah, the twin brother yeah yeah, yeah the, the, the player that I'm aside from the River players that, that I can say most about is, is Leonardo Galliano who's yeah. been playing for Independiente and very good player in, for in the league yeah. uh, obviously in the Copa Sudamericana as we're saying they, they've all looked fairly impressive in the league Galliano's one of the few. <laughs> He's managed to, to take his continental form and transfer, and transfer it to the, the, the domestic league, yeah. scene, as it were. Yeah. Um, which of the goalkeepers is, is going to be used is is an interesting one. It's the first choice. Yeah. I don't know any of them. To I be honest, honest, I haven't none of them seen are playing no. for the teams. I was going to mention before when I started talking about players that, as often happens with Argentinian teams, a lot of the standout players are in midfield, attacking midfielders yeah. and, and forwards. None of the defenders particularly stand out to me or the goalkeepers I mean Galliano as you said like is one of the defenders but uh, yeah he's, he's the only one who yeah. I would but aside yeah. for that I'd, I'd have to say a player I'm looking really looking forward to seeing in this uh, championship is uh, Juan Manuel Iturbe who's up front and he nominally plays for Kilmes stay, stay, with, me, stay with me on this one because <laughs> it's a little bit complicated last year he was playing for Cerro Porteño in Paraguay he got annoyed with him at the start of 2010 and walked out. And Julio Grandona, our favourite guy, like benevolent man as he is, invited him pretty quickly to say, "I'll oh, come and come, for, come and train for Argentina then," because they call him the Guarani Lionel Messi. That's his uh, little tag. So yeah, uh, Don Julio, in all his benevolence, said, "Come and come and train with us. You know, you can play." And I believe he even went to the World Cup as one of the sparrings. He that, did. You're right. Yeah. yeah. So nominally he's on the books at Kilmers, but he's been barred from playing all season because his contract is still theoretically with Serra Porteño. And Kilmers, of course, are a club who are very uh, politically close to both the Argentine government and to the Argentine yes. Football Association. I believe their vice president is also the head of government in the Peronist party, like yeah. the government party. Not yeah. the president, but the head of the party. So, I mean, having, having talked about a little bit about the under 20s and um, as far as the goalkeepers are concerned I literally can't work out who's going to play because none of them I don't think have made their debut yeah. for the team they're registered with yeah. obviously Damian Martinez 
Arsenal in England are not yeah. quite desperate enough for a goalkeeper to have to play what an 18 or 19 year old just yet but it would be interesting to see the goalkeeper from Arsenal Junior playing yeah for, um, for me the, in terms of young goalkeepers you've got uh, Marchesin in, in yeah. Lanús yeah. Uh, but he's a little bit old he's about 22 probably yeah, okay. he's the only one I can think of that stands out as, as for yeah, a goalkeeper Lanús of course is a very young team generally because um, until earlier in this campaign they had Luis Subaldia managing them who was uh, he resigned I think didn't he he wasn't sacked earlier in this he jumped before he was pushed yeah uh, earlier in the apertura um, and he's only 28 years old yeah. which was uh, as far as I'm aware the youngest manager of he, the was, the youngest, yeah, he, he was, was the youngest he was the youngest significantly sized yeah, league yeah. And, and he did a very good job as well he for did. a couple of years I mean despite his youth he was actually one I think the longest serving manager in the, in the Primera when he quit but yeah I mean in, in terms of if, if you're asking us to predict preferred lineups in the correspondence for, for goalkeepers it could be anyone. I, yeah, we'll I, say. I mean, I, I personally would probably have Leonardo Galeano and Adrian Martinez of San Lorenzo both in in the defence, and then in midfield I'd have I'd go for Lancini, Suculini, Maron Diaz for his his experience as much as for his um, actual performances and. I can't believe. Uh, sorry, I've just noticed Rodrigo Batalha. There's a Nurakan player in this squad. Yeah, who's done? He hasn't done too badly actually. But they've been shocking all season. Every yeah. I, I've I've been to see Nurakan three times at home this season, and they've lost every leading yeah. match. And I think an incredible thing about this list is there's not a single Vélez player from what I can say. No, that's true as well. And one is Estudiantes. Yeah, and they're the two top teams. Up uh, uh, front, I'd probably go for Juan Manuel Iturbe, and I mean initially. Facundo Ferreira, I think, would no. no. <laughs> Facundo Ferreira has, although he's not played much, I'd, I've been impressed with him when he has for Banfield. Um, Sergio Araujo is the other striker, and he's he's looked really good. We mentioned him last week uh, with reference to Boca Juniors' victory, and he scored a really, really good goal. Uh, but it was pretty much the first thing that anybody had seen of him in Argentine football. You know, those those might not be. Obviously, we've not given you a predicted starting eleven yeah. for the Sub 20, but. If you're interested in in seeing the, the Sudamericano Sub-20 in, in January, that should give you an idea of who the most important players will be, at least. Yeah. Uh, goalkeepers, as we say, we're completely in the dark, I'm afraid. <laughs> we have not seen any of them. We, we don't make it our habit to uh, go along to Argentine reserve or third-team training sessions. It's true. So, it's we're a bit lazy in that. Yeah, and we, and we certainly can't get to the Emirates to go and watch Arsenal's yeah. under-19 team. But no, I think we should probably then finish, gents. I doubt we'll have another podcast before the league comes to a finish, so maybe we should put, mm. each, put each other on the spot and say, first of all, who's going to qualify for the Libertadores, and then we'll go for the big one, who's going who's gonna to finish champions. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, so Dan, um, what do you think? Well, the Libertadores is tough, because obviously it depends on the, on the result of the Sudamericana final, second leg. I said that, I think Independiente have a good chance, but in the end, I probably don't think that they're going to win that. So it's luckily for you, I think it's going to be Racing uh, who take so the last spot in the Libertadores. As for the championship, um, it's very interesting. I, I'll go for Estudiantes, uh, just probably just because they have the two-point lead at the moment and with two games to go. But Vélez probably playing a little better than Estudiantes at the moment. But with two games to go, I think Estudiantes are going to see it out. I'd say for me, I think, I think Racing can can probably hold on and do it as long as Independiente don't come along and ruin everything, which they might may well. But I'm going to stick my neck out and follow my heart and say Racing for the Libertadores. And for the league, I've got a horrible feeling after you know being fairly brutal with Sam about Estudiantes winning in River Stadium that Vélez, who actually play Racing in our stadium in the final fixture, will now go and finish champions in our stadium. It just seems like it's poetic justice, so on that basis, I'm going to plump for Vélez. That's a brave prediction, predicting Racing, your own team, to qualify <laughs> for the only method. Of I have a feeling that you're probably right. I, I don't think Independiente are going to win the Sudamericana. Um, it, uh, Banfield are what one point behind you as well? Aren't uh, Banfield are out of it now. Ah, yeah. Is it Newell's? Newell's, are, the ones, yeah. Newell's are a point behind Racing, yeah. and so as a result, I'm gonna. Uh, there's part of, a lot of me thinks that Racing will do it, but also, as as Dan may have mentioned in previous podcasts, part of being a Racing fan is is getting used to glorious failure and just coming that so close, and so 
whilst I think Racing have to be considered favourites at this stage with two games to go, it would not surprise me at all if, in fact, Newell's just pipped you. It wouldn't surprise me. And in a way, it would be almost more heartbreaking, because at least if Independiente win the Sudamericana on Wednesday, you'll know. Whereas, if they don't, then you have to wait until the weekend before finding out. No, I prefer I prefer seniors in an independent. I'm sure you would. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. Don't worry yeah. about that. For the league, I think Estudiantes will win it, but I've got a feeling it's going to go to the weekend. I, I, mm. The way that River have played under J.J. Lopez, um, <laughs> I, I think that we've got enough about us to get a draw. In, in the largest stadium in Argentina, which will be packed to the rafters at home against a team who traditionally River Plate have always seen as far smaller than them even though they've won more coppers than Metadoris um, I, I, I'm confident enough to say that I think River Plate can get a point against a team that they, most of their fans would probably think of as, as a small club um, not justifiably I might say I, I, I don't think of a city yeah, that okay. way but I think certainly I the current team are fantastic but I, I think it's going to be I'm going to go for 1-1 in the Monumental and then for Estudiantes to win um, at the weekend but of course I'm not going to know whether I'm right or not until about what 12 hours after the game finishes yeah. when I, in terms of next week's podcast we're going to try and do something over Skype um, so that we've at least got a look back on the on the season and then we'll probably be taking a summer break um, we're exhausted it's, yeah. been, um, it's been a long slog as, as you can imagine gathering you can't imagine the hours we spend once. researching for every every podcast well Dan says that but in, in fact Dan is unable sadly to imagine the hours that I spent producing the bloody thing <laughs> <laughs> away from the sun in my bedroom until five in the shame. bloody morning um, a couple of weeks ago to try and get it online it can't be that much sunshine if you're finishing at five in the morning <laughs> well that's true but the annoying thing about finishing at five in the morning is that there is sunshine and that I can't uh, sadly that there are no curtains over the um, the little bit of plastic that I've got um, over the top of my my door, so the sun's very much shining into the room by the time I go to bed. Fair. But yeah, we'll, we'll try and keep you in the loop, and, and on the uh, the 19th of January I'm going to be returning to Buenos Aires, which ought to mean that we were able to, to do a podcast. First of all, looking at the Sudamericana Sub-20, which kicks off on the 16th, and Argentina's performance in that, and then of course previewing the Clausura. But this is for next week, of course, so next week there should be a, a podcast, unless we have problems with Skype and various other internet-related recording issues. Uh, we're all off in best Argentine tradition now to say goodbye to, well, to me, um, by stuffing our faces with several kilograms of juicy Argentine steak with a couple of other football journalists. So we'll say goodbye for now. It's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from both of the Dans. Goodbye. Bye-bye. And if we seemed to be not always thinking straight during that podcast, then we should apologise because we've had Fernet out of rather larger than normal glasses whilst yes. drinking. Well, <laughs> myself and Australian Dan have a list. I think you're going to have a lot of extra editing to do this. Yes, I think I might well have. <laughs>